Mystery has energy. It pours energy into whoever seeks the answer to it. If you disclose the solution to the mystery, you are simply depriving the other seekers of an important source of energy. The solution of the physical problems that face man, that is a matter of technology. But I am talking about the general psychological health of the species, man. He needs the existence of mysteries, not their solution. That was John Fowles. I'm Sam Dingman, and this is The Midnight Disease. W-A-L-T, it's The Midnight Disease. Sam Dingman coming to you on the Neumann U87, the Avitas MA5, the Great River Harrison 32EQ, and the RNC 500 analog tones on a Monday afternoon in the moon cabin. Oh, folks, oh, folks, have we got a show for you today. On the show today, it's David Shiverton of the band The Smoogies, and listen, back in 2019, I was having a very rough time. I could not sleep. I had just been through a very devastating breakup, and I had very much replaced that romantic relationship with a professional relationship with a podcast. That sounds healthy, doesn't it? (laughs) The podcast in question was Family Ghosts, a show that I love very much, but which I ultimately put pressure on to be the full and complete source of meaning and purpose in my life, which I don't know that any podcast can withstand that pressure, but that is the pressure that I I put on it. I was in the midst of production of the second and third seasons of Family Ghosts that summer of 2019, and I was obsessing about every single word in every single script, was concerned that every single emotional note that I was hitting in every single episode was tonally amiss and was going to not only fail to tell a compelling story, but do harm to the people who had shared their family ghost stories with me. I was a wreck, and I was lonely, and I couldn't sleep. And so I took to the internet, and I began to watch videos of people playing the drums. And I don't know what it was about these videos of people playing the drums, but there was something about a consistent rhythm with flourishes of polyrhythmic abandon laid over top those bass rhythms that balanced me out. And I would lie there in bed and I would watch video after video on Instagram or YouTube of these masterful drummers laying down solid, consistent, 
beats and then improvising over top of them that, I don't know, it just evened out my keel and it would let me eventually fall asleep. And, of course, in the course of doing that, I fell in love with the playing of some of these drummers and wanted to explore all of the music that they made. And that is how I discovered the drummer David Shiverton. I want to play you a little clip from a video that David has on his YouTube channel, and it's just him practicing. Listen to this. Okay, hear that? He's just laying down something nice, consistent, compelling, anchoring in the kick drum and the snare. And then upstairs, in the right hand, a little bit in the left hand, we're exploring. Seeing what's happening with these cymbals. What are the sounds we can get here? Little hi-hat? Whoop. Yes, there we go. And now we're getting adventurous on the snare. But that kick drum does not budge. It just keeps going, keeping us where we want to be. And listen to this. Upstairs, we're discovering that we can go anywhere. We can be anything we want. This improvisation could leave the boundaries of the rhythm we think we're in, and yet that rhythm does not stop. It persists. We are in it at the same time as we venture outside of it. It can all happen. Everything is possible. Yes. Let yourself drift into sleep, knowing the sacred and the profane. It is all possible. It is all contained. None of this is too much, and yet it can be everything. All right, so those are some of the thoughts that I would have as I would watch David play and allow myself to drift finally and thankfully into sleep in that fateful, lonely, desperate summer of 2019. And so then, eventually, I'm following David's work, and he puts up a video on one of his YouTube channels of this band called The Smoogies. And the band The Smoogies is now one of my favorite bands, and it is because of this one YouTube video, which was part of a series he did called The Shivertone Sessions, where David Uh, who, as you've just heard, is an incredibly talented drummer, he would sit in with musicians of all different kinds, funk musicians, jazz musicians, soul musicians, gospel musicians, and they all open with him just kind of chatting with the other members of the group in the studio, and then they start playing music together. But this Smoogies video was different. This video, it opens, and you see David sitting at the drums, and there are three other musicians with him, and they're all sitting back to back to back to back in a circle. Their backs are to each other. And there are two drummers, a bassist and a keyboard player. And all of that polyrhythmic adventurousness that you just heard David expressing on the drums is blending with playing of a similar aesthetic on the bass and on the keyboard. And 
the video is in black and white, but I'm seeing, I'm, I'm shutting my eyes and I'm seeing more colors than I even knew were possible. I promise I did not take any edibles before I recorded this intro. These are just true memories of my discovery of David Shiverton's music. And that sense of anchored abandon that he brought into my consciousness that summer, the the effect of it was just profound. I needed it in this really, really deep way. And as I told you on a previous episode, I am somebody who likes to think I can play the drums a little bit, which is to say I can keep a basic rhythm. <laughs> but David is one of those in my opinion, rare drummers who plays the drum kit not as an object of rhythm, but as an instrument, an instrument with a tonality all its own, an instrument with a range of dynamics and the ability to create melody and harmony in addition to providing rhythmic drive. And that is an extraordinary skill, if you think about it. I mean, if you think about the physical dexterity that is necessary to do that, you just you just heard it in that video I just played, right? You have to have both of your feet doing different things. You have to have both of your hands doing different things, and yet they all have to be locked to the same internal metronome. And that's just if you're playing by yourself. Add other musicians into that mix and add in the fact that all of those musicians are looking to the drummer to be the consistent source of tempo for what they're playing— it's a skill set that I just marvel at, as you can tell from the way that I'm talking about it. And so, when I started this project, David is one of the first people that I reached out to because I wanted to see what was going on inside of him when he played the drums the way that he does. And that is what you are about to hear right here on The Midnight Disease. Now, as is sometimes necessary, a couple of technical caveats here. Um, I, like my conversation with Lauren Shippen, recorded this interview in a secret remote location. It's not a secret. It was Mexico City, and it was in a very, very echoey living room of an Airbnb. So I had to put a lot of treatment on my microphone, and it will sound different than my voice sounds in your ears right now. I guess I'm just telling you that because I don't want you to be thrown for a loop. Also, David spoke to me from his garage where he practices the very drum set that you just heard him playing. And as a result of that, you can sometimes hear cars driving by outside in the background. And I don't think it's terribly distracting, but you will hear it in the background every once in a while. And if you hear it and it is bothering you, just remember that like difficult summers, it will pass. And with that, I take you to my conversation with drummer David Shiverton on WALT. David Shiverton, welcome to The Midnight Disease. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for the consideration. Absolutely, man. Um, the first question I like to ask folks is, if you think of the phrase, The Midnight Disease, 
and you apply it to your creative practice, what comes to mind? If we were to picture David Shiverton in the throes of the midnight disease, what might we see? Well, now that I'm a father and a, you know, a <laughs> husband, I realize that a lot of my ideas come like super late at night, like two, two in the mm-hmm. morning mm-hmm. when my yeah. wife and my son are sleeping and I have a second to myself. You know? yeah. yeah. And so one of the ways that I discovered your playing is through the um, videos you post of yourself practicing and, and trying various things out uh, right there in your garage where, where we're talking. Um, when did you, let's say prior to the birth of your son, when did you tend to practice the most on your own? And now that you have your son, uh, how has that changed? It's interesting because my wife and I got married 2019 and of course, right after that, the pandemic happened. So <laughs> Happy quite <home> naturally, <laughs> yeah, right. So quite naturally, there's absolutely nowhere to go, <laughs> nothing to do. Yeah. Um, that was probably the most, I, you know, that's when I really, maybe a year or two, maybe two years prior, I started to really get heavy into recording at home mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and making it, you know, a professional thing and sending files to clients, different things like that. But man... During the pandemic was the most I had ever recorded and and practiced and things like that. Um, Yeah, it's been tough, you know, now having the baby. But at the same time, my wife, who's absolutely incredible, you know, if I if I say, babe, please just give me from four (laughs) o'clock to six. She does, man. She tries her best to accommodate that and. But at six, you need to come wash the bottles, you yeah. know. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and 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 my my in laws are in the house with us, and they've been a godsend, man. So it's oh, been really fantastic. amazing. Yeah, it's been amazing to just have. I'm super blessed to have that such a supportive like a system in place uh, for me to still do what it is I need to do. So in the last couple of years, I feel like my level of practicing and and really um, rationing out my my time has been a little bit more per purposeful you know uh-huh, like okay uh-huh. cool if i got from four to six i gotta make sure it counts right you right know? right right so, like i have these so. charts i have to learn i have yep. this time just to explore for myself that kind of thing yep yep and you mentioned doing recording at home for clients are you doing a lot of tracking for folks who've asked you to play on their tunes and you're having to kind of like build a, a working studio at home that where you can deliver like uh, mix ready files. Exactly. It's been the name of the game for a while now, but it's really the name of the game now because mm-hmm. nobody's booking studios anymore. Now it's just like, hey, I'm going to email you this file. <laughs> you send me back your drum files. I'll sell you whatever Venmo. And that's how it is. Half of my clients I've never met in my life. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so. That's true for me in podcasting too. It's, um, uh, and and I'm I'm actually glad you brought this up because one of the things that I think about a lot with that is how much I miss the time spent in the studio because that environment you know there's there's like a sacredness to that that time yeah. um, and recording one of my favorite things about recording studios are engineers are so good at setting up you know they've got like lava lamps and low leather couches and creating the vibe exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. and can you tell me a little bit about um, your relationship with losing that? Because, you know, I, as we talked about over email, I discovered your work at, initially through the Shivertone sessions. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, they're fantastic. And uh, in addition to just enjoying the music, one of my favorite parts is seeing you 
just rapping with the musicians before you start playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the instruments are set up and everything, but you're just standing around with them in the studio. Everybody's really in their element. And you can feel this palpable sense in the conversation as you're talking to them, like everybody can't wait to play their music through those really nice mics in that really nice recording space. So, and that's a dynamic that is so unique to that space. So um, what has it been like for you to, to kind of change your interaction with musicians that way? It's actually made my heart grow fonder for those moments mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. that we, I can be in the same room as, as people that I'm performing with or recording with. Um, it means the times that we do have together that we just need to cherish them, you know. And I feel yeah. like the pandemic, it, it was just a a crazy, weird dream that we all had that the world yeah. stopped. <laughs> you know, it, looked, it felt like something out of a Marvel film or something like that. But it was like crazy. Um, yeah. But to me, when we all we were allowed to kind of come back together, like I, I, I never took it for granted before. But even more now, man, like it's. I don't take it for granted at all. Just having people in a room, being able to interact off energy. And that's from the stage to the audience. Somebody paying their money to come listen to you, you know, perform like that's beautiful, man. If you allow it to, it'll, it'll, it'll really give you a sense of integrity when it pertains to having those opportunities. You know, you'll approach them with more purpose, you know. Absolutely. And do you find you get that most playing in live environments now, like on tour? Whereas I get both, man. To be honest with you, I get it even when I'm recording by myself because it's it's me documenting something forever. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's to me that's invaluable. You know, that's that's something that's incredible that's gonna be here after I'm gone. What you just said is really is really remarkable because one of my favorite things about working in sound generally and especially that makes me love jazz the most, is that, so like sound is invisible. And we make these recordings, whether it's a podcast or a record, that are capturing this interaction. And in jazz, it's like the most special of all because it's it's collectively improvised and it's never the same twice. It's kind of like conversation. It makes me think about something you said at the beginning of, I think it's the very first Shivertone Sessions video, where you you talked about being four years old and being in church and sitting next to the drums and watching the drummer and realizing that this this person with just their limbs could move an entire room of people. Can you expand on that memory a little bit? What else do you remember about that? My aunt. Uh, uh, who passed away in uh, 2009, she was one of the first people I saw actually get on the drum set and play. Oh, yeah? And the story my dad tells me is that I think I he said I saw her and I went and sat in front of the drum set and I wouldn't move. <laughs> and he, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, literally, he said you were like mesmerized by like that whole moment, by the coordination thing. He said, I don't even know what you were really, what was going through your head. He said, you just... He said, you sat there on the the, the chair. He said, you, you just didn't move. Wow. And he said, I knew from that moment, like, we were in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I knew it's going to be a, 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 a loud house. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, I, I think, thank you, by the way, for, for you really did watch the Shivertone sessions. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, absolutely, you. man. That's yeah. cool. 
That's really cool. Um, I actually saw that video the other day, and it 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 it's cool when you go back. Uh, just a sidebar. It's cool when you go back and kind of see some of the work you've done, um, and kind of put things into perspective and and try your best to kind of get, not even get back to that place, but remember what inspired that moment. The mm-hmm. Shimmer Tone sessions was a thing that I had never seen anybody do before, and it was just me setting out to to do something that I thought was cool. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. But. Well, you know what really shines through in them is you do this thing where uh, I know in, in some of them we see you talking to whoever you're recording with beforehand and some of them we just jump right into the music. And I don't know if these are all groups that you gig with regularly or record with regularly or if you're just playing with them for the first time, but it's like we're we're getting to, there's a very palpable sense of watching you get the joy of playing with your favorite musicians. Um, and it feels like, I know you've probably rehearsed extensively and, and talked to them a lot, but it feels like you're just kind of jumping right into their songs. Here's the funny thing, bro. I'd never rehearsed any of the Shivertone sessions. Come on, like, really? Any of the episodes you've seen, wow. we may play through something once just for format purposes, but no, a lot of them, we just go. But that's what made it really cool because these are people um, that at some point in time I've played with and, you know, me playing their music, it's a lot of the music had been burnt into my psyche, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like I, so we would come together after not playing for five, four or five months mm-hmm. and it just, it's fresh. You know, that was part of the reason why I didn't want it. Like I didn't want it overproduced or mm-hmm. I wanted to be super authentic and I want the viewer to, to, which I guess it went over because you thought we rehearsed. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's that's awesome, you know. But yeah, that was definitely not my objective. I wanted it to feel like raw. I'm really glad you used when you're telling that story of being four years old and your aunt playing the drums. Yep. Use that word mesmerized, and yep. I think I think that is a really. I like kind of grafting that onto the shiver tone sessions because there is a real sense of you when you're playing because you're playing in one thing people will see when they watch the videos is you're playing in so many different styles, um, fusion and gospel and soul and, uh, funk and like all these different styles, but there's such reverence on your part as you're like sitting in community with all these, these different musicians. And I like knowing that that stretches all the way back to when you were four years old and thinking about the possibilities of the drums. Can you tell me, how how did you make the jump from sitting and staring at your aunt playing the drums to actually getting behind a kit for the first time? That's the part I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I'm, there are a lot of like unanswered things where I'm just like I kind of remember that, but I kind of don't. Mm-hmm. I do remember some of my first experiences with, you know, drummers. Um, there's a drummer who's local here. His name is Caesar Griffin. Mm-hmm. Incredible drummer, man, and. You know, I really, you know, take my hat off to him just being open to showing a, a little kid how to hold the sticks. And I, re- I that's a vivid memory. I remember he had this Yamaha recording custom red with chrome hardware. The Yamaha logo was gold back then. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I remember like like it was yesterday. I can yeah. still see it. And I remember him physically showing me how to play the hi-hat and the snare. And I I couldn't have been more than like three or four years old. Wow. Something wow. like that. So that's, I would consider that one of my first real memories of like officially getting on a kit. And then I kind of go on to 
I played in my mother. My mother uh, was a part of a, a great gospel group um, mm-hmm. quartet called the Miracle Lights. So she's she's a singer, and my aunt was in the group and everything. And that was technically like my first gig, in a sense, uh-huh. you know, at uh-huh. four years old. And my godfather, his name is Lionel Nelson, amazing guy, amazing man, um, really taught me just the importance of the foundation of of being a musician, not just a drummer. Uh-huh. Discipline and all that good stuff. So all of those memories kind of tie into each other from Caesar really showing me that stuff to to my my I call him my Uncle Lano. He used to give me letter grades for, for my performances. Really? Oh man, really? it was it was brutal. Man, <laughs> I don't I don't think I'd ever gotten an A plus ever. If I got a B, that means I did amazing that uh-huh. night. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But most times it was C plus. I was an average. Wow. <laughs> it was C plus. Wow. But it was because he was really he was really, you know, in a place of discipline and making sure that I didn't get too ahead of myself and mm-hmm. understanding that I really just needed to continue to have a work ethic and discipline. So I will always be thankful to him for that too. You know. So, but So what would he give you feedback on when he would give you these these like middling grades? Was it like when you're trying to get too fancy or Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like he Uh was huge on pocket. He's a he's a bass player. You know, that's kind of his specifically his thing. But he's an arranger and a producer. So he can play keys, he can play bass, he can sit down and play drums if he has to. Uh Um so he was very instrumental in like just the discipline aspect of locking in and he's like, Yeah, I I don't want to hear any feels like who told you to play that feel. Nope. Right. No, right. I didn't ask you to do that. As a matter of fact, I've, I remember times. This is funny, man. But it, it wasn't funny then. I, I remember him <laughs> kicking me off the drums. And I remember Boohoo crying to my mom like we were at a show out of town somewhere. Wow. And he kicks me off the drums in soundcheck. He was just like, yeah, get off the drums. You're not playing tonight. I was wow. like, there's there's no other drummer. What, what do we <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, I'll play drums. Don't worry about it. You get off the drums. Wow. And it was really because I decided, you know, I'm now listening to different drummers that I like. I want to go for some stuff. And uh-huh, he's like, uh-huh. no, man. It was it was a real wax on, wax off type type thing <laughs> happening. Karate kid. Yeah, he was he was that guy, man. And and I love him. I would love him forever. Because yeah. that those those things or those values that he was teaching me wasn't just for drums. They were for me as a man, sure, as a father, as a as a son, as a husband, or the discipline that you need to have in life, not getting so caught up on yourself and hung up on yourself, maintaining a level head and, and you know, constantly in the pursuit of greatness without the arrogance. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it, it, it was it was cool. Those are vivid, very vivid like memories that I have. No. Honestly, uh, I hadn't thought about this until you said it, but keep it in the pocket is a good mantra for life. <laughs> um, and that's that's really remarkable that uh, it was that important to him that even at a gig, it, where presumably he was the one who was going to play bass, he was like, it's better yeah. if we don't have a bassist and I play the drums than you, yeah. you know, show it was, what your it way was about, it, And I know it wasn't really from a place of malice. He was coming from a place yeah. of, you know what? If you're not going to play your role in the situation that we had already worked out, it's not necessary for you to be a part of this anymore. How much of that, because at this time, you're still pretty much a kid at this point, right? Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so at this point, are you mostly playing gospel music, praise music? 
mm-hmm. um, as your yep. primary um, form of expression. Yep. So am I, I have an assumption that another thing that's going on in him talking to you about this is this, this music is about praise. It's about the message. It's not about any of the individual people playing the music. Was that somewhere in what he was trying to express? Okay. (laughs) Very accurate. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's in essence, like that's exactly what he was saying. Especially when you're talking to the spiritual aspect of what we were doing. Yeah. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. was like, Mm -hmm. no, play what's necessary. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what he always, always said to me. No, play what's necessary. Lock in with the bass. Mm -hmm. Your kick drum doesn't move unless my bass moves. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. and these are lessons that he was teaching me on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that stuff, it was crazy to see how all of that stuff in on a mechanical and musical side really tied into the reason why we were we were playing, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. to to usher in the spirit, you know, us usher in God, and 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 like you said, it was it was a praise or or you know worship experience, mm-hmm. and you don't have to be you know, in the way. (laughs) You don't need to be in the way of any of that. There's something very profound about the idea that your job is to not get in the way of the music that that wants to be expressed. Um, That really you're not like, you're not making the music so much as you're a conduit for the music. You have to surrender to the moment. I, I kind of, I've been dealing with this a lot in my lessons and different people understanding that there's a certain level of you have to be a servant to the music. I love musicians like a uh, Brian Blade. Man. I love Brian Blade, bro. Like he's he's one guy that I've I see it every time I I watch him play, and it's all it's not just here. It's it's here. It's, it's here. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a certain level of of conviction that he's playing with that I don't care who tries to emulate him, they won't. Yeah, because he's playing from a specific place that mean something to him and i always want to whether i'm playing music or producing or whatever i always want that to come across in Mm -hmm. whatever it is i do so yeah man there's a level of of getting out of your own way that has to happen yeah or else or else you're just doing it for the wrong reason to me personally that's my yeah no no absolutely did you at a young age playing did music feel like a spiritual experience did you did you feel a sense of transcendence yeah Uh, yeah. being being a believer you know being a christian you know having a relationship with god and my mother was an actual she was actually an assistant pastor in the Mm -hmm. church i grew up in uh uh, with my my godfather as well he was he was um a part of the family the pastor's family so um he was a minister there as well so yeah that was there was a level of um, you know, spiritual responsibility I always felt when I sat down on the drums mm-hmm. uh, because you were a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. You know, I always felt that and they always made sure we felt that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you were on something else, you're not getting on the instrument. So so when I was a kid, like even if I didn't fully understand my personal relationship with God, like, yeah, I still knew I still had the conviction of what mm-hmm. it was I was doing. Uh-huh. You know, and try yeah, and try my best to do it effectively, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember um, any initial moments, you know, because I'm hearing you say you're a young drummer, you're excited that you get to play, your godfather is constantly, you know, trying to encourage you to stay in the pocket, to, to focus on on playing for the right reasons. Did there ever come a point where you you felt like it really 
locked in and you and clicked and you started to get it? Or is it yeah. still an ongoing <laughs> thing? <laughs> well, a lot of that naturally was tied to his recognition or his his acceptance for mm-hmm. what it was I was doing. So, you know, as much as people say, yeah, they're not influenced by other people, that's that's yeah. inaccurate. <laughs> like it's <laughs> yeah, you you're influenced by the people that you really care about or care about you and that mm-hmm. pour into you. So yeah. the the moment I start to see him shake his head or give a nod, mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I guess I'm headed in the right direction. Yeah. So as soon as that, you know, that stuff started to happen and and I'm, you know, I'm not getting D's or C's anymore as grades, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And like I said, you know, one one time he gave me a B plus. I was like, oh man, I must have been on fire tonight. You yeah. know, but but and that was him just being gracious, you know. Once I started to become the karate kid yeah, <laughs> in a yeah, sense, yeah. It, then then it was like, oh, okay, well let me really try my best to cultivate this and yeah. and and continue to push in the right direction, you know. Do you, this is going to be a weird question, but if you, can you think of, of one of those moments where you looked over and you saw him kind of nodding his head while you were playing and did, the, did you realize in that moment, oh, I'm doing, physically I'm doing something different on the kit that is prompting that response? Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the kick drum patterns and uh-huh. being able to lock in with a bass player, you know, understanding how to set up certain sections of the song. Mm-hmm. Like when that stuff started to become second nature to me, and I again I start to get those nods, then I'm understanding that that these things are now sinking in. Mm-hmm. Now they're becoming a part of my instinct. Mm-hmm. You know, now mm-hmm. they're becoming a part of things that I don't have to think about anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's the exciting part about music when when you're really when the music plays you. I like to say that. Yeah. Like I love when the music plays you. Yes. You know? Yes. That's what I mean about being a servant. You can't, that can't happen unless you're a servant mm-hmm. to the music, mm-hmm. you know. So. Plenty more to come with David Shiverton here on The Midnight Disease. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to WALT. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you're 
playing these gigs with your mom and, and your aunt's gospel group. And then you also have, you mentioned these other drummers who are starting to get in your head and who you want to play like. Who, who were those drummers? Well, back then, um, there were a lot of local heroes, man. There was this, this guy, Maurice Cross. Mm-hmm. Incredible. He was just, he sounded like nobody else down here. Uh-huh. He was great. Um, a guy named James Davis, who was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, man, so many local heroes, really. Because uh-huh. I hadn't really been exposed to, we didn't have YouTube or anything like that back then. Yeah. You had to go get albums and check mm-hmm. out who was, mm-hmm. hopefully you could find out who's actually playing on the record. And what um, was it about their playing that you were responding to? Was it something qualitative or something sonic? Sonic, um, Sonically, they just had a sound that whenever they sat on a kit, you knew it, it was them playing. Yeah. And I, and I could identify with that immediately because I knew that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I started to kind of slowly move from, you know, all right, this is what my Uncle Lionel was telling me I have to play to now, man, I want a sound. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want a big sound. Like, this guy, his foot is crazy. Uh-huh. And back then, like, especially on the church circuit, like, the cast didn't play with double pedals. It was all, like, single pedal. Uh-huh. But these guys were coming out of the, I don't know what they were doing, man. Their feet were so fast. Uh-huh. So now you're getting a taste of that. Like, that dude's foot is fast. I need uh-huh. to sit down and work on all this stuff. And, my, and immediately my godfather's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> no. Slow those yeah, feet down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Play uh-huh. play with the baseline is playing. So that's kind of how I started kind of, you know, it's like everybody, man. You, you start to get a taste of what else is out there. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's it's still a good thing. It's just you're not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of that stuff I saw kind of early. And I, I was specifically like Maurice Cross, man. I would see him play with a, a, a great uh, gospel group down here, uh, the Cross Brothers. And the stuff he was doing, he was the first guy I'd noticed that played Hill Up. Because I didn't know the difference between Hill Up, Hill Down, any of that stuff. Uh-huh. But now that, you know, when I when I understood what that meant, I can go back to that memory. I'm like, he was the first guy I saw do that. Uh-huh. And his foot was so fast, man. Uh-huh. Can but, you yeah. tell me, can you tell me, um, I think I maybe have a sense of what the difference between those sounds is. But tell okay. me, tell me what it means to you, Hill Up versus Hill Down. He'll also oh, so basically, literally, if, if this is your foot, mm-hmm. um, in the jazz world, it's very common for cats to play more so. I guess you can think of it as a tapping motion uh-huh. with the with your toes or or the uh-huh. you know the upper part of your foot. And He'll, this is on uh, the kick and the snare. This is on the kick drum. Excuse me, the on kick, the kick. Drum, okay, on okay. the kick drum pedal, and more so heel up is with your heel kind of coming off of the pedal board, and you're kind of. It's still a bit of a tapping motion, but you have a little bit more power mm-hmm. uh, that that comes from the kick drum. Yeah, so it's I definitely have to show you a bit more, but yeah, it, it'll make me sound like a geek. So um. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. This is the place for that. This is the place for that. You're yeah. you're making me think of drummers I've seen either live or on Instagram or YouTube or whatever. Who, if I'm understanding the difference correctly. I feel like the ones who I see play heel up, it's almost like it's like their foot is kind of driving towards the kick. Yeah. In a to way. To a certain extent, yeah. 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 Like kind yep. of diving so, towards it. Some somewhat, yeah. And if, mm-hmm. if guys that, you know, and the guys that are really, you know, amazing at it, they're just able to get power with with the least amount of work. 
you're you're almost describing the difference between like a tap and a stomp. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I saw these guys getting like crazy sounds out of the kick drum. I'm just like, my kick drum doesn't sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? And here's my godfather, like, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. You'll figure it out later. You know, right. you'll get to that stuff. So yeah. Right. Which you and we'll talk about this in a bit, but you definitely have, because you're you're your kick drum technique is one of the first things that drew me to your playing. So it's really, it's really interesting to hear about um, this origin of that technique. Um, but I'm curious in this, in this time when you're, um, you're starting to really respond to these sounds that these other drummers are making. Meanwhile, you've got your godfather in your ear, you know, trying to keep you um, from getting too ambitious. Grounded. <laughs> Keeping yeah. me grounded, yeah. So are you... Let's say uh, I'm imagining you know you'd rehearse or you'd play gigs with the gospel group. Then are you are you going home and then practicing? Like are you um, kind of secretly like trying out other things in your own practice time? Like how do you start to build out your own? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah, I'm sitting here. I mean, let's go even earlier than like my godfather. Like I'm I'm beating up furniture. Like my uh -huh. grandma before she passed away, man, she would tell all these stories like. Um, she would also say how much money I owe her from beating up the <laughs> furniture and yeah, man, it was known like, don't let, don't leave any pins around. And back then you had the, the wire hangers that had the paper on the mm -hmm. bottom. Yep. So I would pull those off and those are my drumsticks. So I'm, uh -huh. I'm hitting everything, man. So <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly listening to albums and recordings. And back then they had VHS tapes that you mm -hmm. could watch as well yep. with, with um, some of my favorite gospel artists. So. Yeah, man, I was constantly, quietly, like, mm -hmm. it's like a guitarist that's in, like, a band in school. He has to learn these specific chords, but he's secretly listening to Slash. Yeah, right. <laughs> and right, and right. learning licks, you know uh -huh. what I mean? So, yeah, privately, I was definitely doing that stuff, but I wouldn't dare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I did, and I paid for it, but, yeah, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I wouldn't dare try that stuff with my godfather. So. so, when do you remember stepping outside of his vision for how you were supposed to play for the first time? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say I stepped out of his vision. I would say I, I had become exposed to more information and more music and mm -hmm. styles. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. now I'm going from just playing quartet or, or you know, gospel music to um, being in school now. I'm playing in the marching band, mm -hmm. playing the snare drum and, and then eventually I moved from marching man into jazz band in high school. So I'm, yeah. now I'm swinging, like I'm, I'm literally like expanding, you know, my, my palette when it, when it pertains to music. So um, it was more so me being exposed to different things. And that's why I say I can look back at the lessons he taught me because he knew that yeah. he could see that, you know, somewhat have a sense of the trajectory mm -hmm. of how, you know, musically, I would be exposed to different things. He just needed to instill the discipline aspect of what I needed to go into those territories. Like, yeah, this works in all of those territories, you know, all uh -huh. of those styles. You know uh -huh. what I mean? So really kind of to answer your question, like getting into more of the styles. Big band, I'm playing in a big band in high school. I didn't know anything about jazz, but I got exposed to like Basie and Duke Ellington, and uh -huh. Uh -huh. Buddy Rich. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, I went from having absolutely no taste for jazz to like, I couldn't get enough of it. Like, <laughs> what is this? Yeah. And how do I do it? You know? 
So what so. what connected with you about jazz? Because it's tempting for me to hear this story so far and think of young David thinking like, oh, there is a place where you can really just go nuts on the drums uh, and 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 really, really indulge a lot of the the sounds you're hearing in your head. I could imagine you feeling a great pull towards that. Is that accurate? Yeah. It's weird because jazz was so instrumental in me being able to play multiple styles. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Jazz in itself is not team, team to team, team. Mm -hmm. Jazz is the portal to versatility Mm. to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it was the vehicle to me understanding the dynamic range, the the melodic range, um, Mm -hmm. the touch, to see that the drums were were more than just keeping time. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. just as melodic. They can be just as melodic as as a pianist. Mm-hmm. They can mm-hmm. be just as quiet as a, a someone that plays the flute. Yeah, you know, they mm-hmm. can be just as boisterous as a, a rock guitarist. Like they had so much range. And to be honest with you, I struggled with it. Like, um, especially my transition from high school to college. I, I went to Florida International University, got a jazz performance degree, a bachelor's. Mm-hmm. And, bro, I literally felt broken for about two or three years huh. because I felt like I had to learn how to play the drums all over again. Huh. I didn't understand the, the the tonal quality, the dynamic range the drums had. So I'm going from gospel where it's all passion, like we're, it's yes. all heart. It's all, you know, doing it to the glory of God. But it's, it's yeah, you're playing with a certain level of, of aggressiveness. And now you're approached with jazz where it's just like, yeah, you need to really figure out your touch now, you know? You really need to figure out how not to, you know, cover or bury the saxophone player uh-huh, uh-huh. or singer, you know? Right. So it really exposed me, and I really had to kind of take a step back, break some bad habits, mm-hmm. listen to a lot more music. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, now I'm getting exposed to even going from Basie, Duke Ellington, and Buddy Rich to now being exposed to Miles. And Max Roach and Tony Williams and all these different vibes where I'm like, it's showing me the beauty that this instrument can really give, you know? And, and You're talking about something that feels related to a quality in your playing that I have always really responded to. And that it was really interesting going, I took like a deep dive in a lot of your YouTube videos that you have put up. And so I think one of the first things I noticed about you as a player in the videos that I watched first is the kind of stillness in your torso um, and a sense of you know, you watch some drummers and it's all limbs flailing everywhere, head banging, like breaking a breaking a sweat, like almost trying to like physically externalize the rhythm through their body into the kit. And the thing I find so powerful about watching you is there's almost like a stillness at your center. And, you know, you talk about the touch. I wouldn't have known that phrase, but it's almost like you're you're, it's like you're letting the tips of the drumsticks do all the moving and traveling across the kid. And there's so much sound and so much rhythm coming through the instrument, but you yourself are so still. And I'm wondering, is that something that you're doing consciously? That was something I had been working on for years. Uh-huh. How to get sound out of the drums, 
I work on it a lot in lessons, how to get sound out of the drums. By no means do I have anything against people that are super energetic and charismatic sure. or showmen on, on drums or any instrument. Go for it. But for me, it was always about uh, maintaining a level of control over my energy while mm-hmm. I'm playing this instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that 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 means breathing. That mm-hmm. means allowing yourself to have facility around the kit without fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, even now, you know, when I got into touring a lot more, being able to play a two-hour show, yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 not walk off the bandstand and feel like you're gonna pass out. Yeah, yeah. You know, main. You know, feel really gaining a level of of, of control and. And consciousness of energy, how to how to correctly strike the drums to get sound out of out of the toms or the cymbals or whatever, um, and and not have to come from way up here. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Jazz was definitely instrumental in that. Okay, this is this is. I was wondering if this was the case. So tell me tell me about how how playing jazz contributed to that. Jazz was again the vehicle to touch. Paying okay. attention. I'll never forget, and I'll just say this about a, a, a great pianist, Doug Bickle. Uh, and I played a form with Doug. Um, great, amazing pianist, great songs, whatever, great tunes. And he comes up to me after we do, we do this jazz form. He says, yeah, man, you sound great. I love your energy, love your passion, love everything about what you do. He's like, but I think now you're at a place where you can work on your touch. Okay. And then he just walked away. I was just like. <laughs> and I, of course, I'm not an egotistical guy, so it wasn't like a slight against me. I just yeah. wanted him to clarify it, like what he meant. I'm uh-huh. like, what, wait, what do you mean? What's touch? What are you talking about? Yeah. And But it was awesome because him leaving me hanging like that forced me to go investigate exactly what he meant. Okay. And, and that exposed me to people like Max Roach. I see. Or, or, you know, Elvin or, you know, Philly, Philly Joe, like all these different people that you're like, man, why are they getting this sound? Uh-huh. What it, What is it? What makes Max different from Tony? Uh-huh. The touch. Yeah. It's a different touch. It's a different level of aggression and passion. You can uh-huh. still have that heart and, uh, you know, aggressiveness or, you know, um, passion when you're playing. But if you're able to harness it and make it as musical as possible... It's a beautiful thing, you know. So I really started to expose myself to more of that. Yeah, you know. So how did this show up physically in your playing? Because I have to say, when I watching some of your your videos from when you're younger, your head is moving more, your torso is yeah. is you're like in the groove a little bit more physically, and as especially in church, like church is a whole different thing. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So what do you start doing? Like, do you start holding the sticks differently? Do you, yep. do you change your uh, heel position? Yeah, all of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of that stuff was, that's what I meant by what, you know, that's what happened to me while I was in college. Okay. It broke me because yeah. it literally mm-hmm. started to ex- expose every area. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you need to work on your foot technique. You need to work on your touch, what sticks you're using, what symbols you're using, mm-hmm. the types of heads, the sizes of the drums, like, I paid attention to the symbols first. I was on a symbol hunt like almost the whole time I was in college. And what were you looking for? What what what, what was the sound just, you heard in your head? Just the sound. Uh-huh. Like I just yeah. needed it's almost like finding not <laughs> it sounds like a cliche like 
you know, analogy, but it's the truth. It's like finding your wife. Like, <laughs> yeah, once that you, makes once total you meet sense her, to me. Yeah. Yeah. Once you meet her, you're just like, it's her. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. my wife and I were best friends for years, but it's like once you lock in, you're like, oh, shoot, that's it. That's right. what I needed. That's what I needed to, you know, take me in the direction of where I wanted to go. So I'm for the symbol that that's playing you rather than there you the go. symbol. Yeah. yeah. There you go. So I've and I've had a whole bunch of duds <laughs> that I had to throw back. Like, I'm like crap, man. That's when I got really geeky. I started to learn gram weights of the symbols, and mm-hmm. you know, and once I learned how gram weights work with specifically like jazz rides, I could get an idea of how the symbol would feel, how heavy it would be. And and once I started to really get into the information of how to maintain or, or obtain certain things, I was just like, okay, I'm getting it now. What is the symbol that you found that was the My, answer? I would never forget and I would never get rid of it. My dad, um, and it broke his heart when it happened. Uh, my first year of college, I got into the big band and, you know, by this time I'm gigging and, uh, you know, somewhat making my own money. So I would save up and just get the stuff I wanted. Mm-hmm. But eventually when my ears started to change, I needed like more cymbals or drums or whatever. And I'll never forget my first year. I told my dad, I said, man, listen, dad, I don't really ask you for anything. Mm-hmm. I was there on scholarship. So, you know, thank, thank, thank God they didn't really have to take care of any of that stuff. So I'm like, dad, I just need you to give me a jazz ride. Mm-hmm. He's like, of course, my dad is just, you know, very, <laughs> he's an amazing man, but he's just like, okay, son, how much does this a jazz symbol cost? <laughs> so, you know, I'm already like, okay, I better not tell him. Let's just go to the music store and let's see. I'll never forget. And he got it from this place. It was called uh, Ace Music back in, mm-hmm. back in, mm-hmm. whenever I was in college, it's space music now. But we go into the drum department. I sit, you know, I sit and play a couple symbols or whatever, mm-hmm. and I hit this. It's a Zildjian twenty-inch medium Constantinople ride. Uh-huh. I hit it like I think two or three times. I was like, "That's it. <laughs> That's my wife. <laughs> That's it. It's her." Like I, I hit it. Yeah. I was like, "Dad, please, I haven't asked you. I won't ask you for anything ever again in yeah. life, ever again." Yeah. And I remember my dad just looked at me like. So you need need it? Like, you really need it? And I was like, yeah, dad. So anyway, to get to the point, like, he invested in me by getting that jazz symbol for me. Yeah. And it changed it changed everything, the way, the, exactly the way I thought it would. It inspired me sonically uh-huh. uh, to think differently. Go ahead. No, I, you're saying exactly what I was going to ask you. I mean, you're talking about symbols the way I think about microphones. Um, so like I'm talking to you just cause we're geeking out on stuff. I'm talking to you on electro voice RE 20. Um, I have tried so many and spent embarrassing amounts of money that yeah. I didn't have, uh, yeah. trying oh. to find the microphone that makes me feel like it's, it's just coaxing my voice out of me rather than me talking into it. Um, and the value to me of that is it makes me feel like I can talk to anyone as myself. And I could have a conversation with you and talk about jazz drumming. I could have a conversation with a painter and talk about watercolor. I could have a conversation with a playwright and talk about constructing a scene. And I trust my ability to do that because of this microphone. And that's cool, man. That's a cool analogy that I didn't even, because now that I'm recording a lot more at home, I'm getting into like mics 
and I'm seeing it like every day. I'm like, wow, uh-huh. it uh-huh. really makes a difference. It this, really does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it makes a huge difference because you just like turn it on. That's the sound. There it is. There it is. That's it. Yeah. You remove the, it's what you were saying at the beginning of the conversation about you don't want to be an obstacle. You also don't want any anything in the signal chain to be an obstacle to, because this is what's special, right? Is you and I being able to have the conversation and anything that is an impediment to that um, is you know, it, it's, it's in the way of, of the moment, which is what we're trying to create. And so am I hearing you right that for you, this, uh, this 20 inch symbol was that, it was, uh-huh. it was that for me. It was, it was what changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and that's putting a lot on it, but it's the truth. Cause when I started playing that symbol, it really affected my touch. Yeah. So now I'm, um, the symbol, the right symbol I had, which was really dry. I'll never forget. It was a, a, Jojo Mayer, Fierce Ride, 20, 21 inch. So I'm using that. It's a dry ride, which is really not a, it's a no-no in a big band. It's just, yeah. uh-huh. I, was, I was just learning how to deal with it because that's all I had. Uh-huh. But bro, I got this Constantinople and started to play it. I was just like, wow. <laughs> it's just, it was heaven, man. I'll never forget that. Do you remember what it was sonically? Is it did it have more ring? Did it have it it, it, it had more versatility? I could crash it. Mm-hmm. I could get really quiet with it, so I got a lot of stick definition out of it. Had an amazing bell. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's it it just it did the job for everything I was doing at the time. Yeah, and it was just the one thing that I didn't leave home without. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it was, and if I'm hearing you right, cool. you still have it, right? Oh yeah, I'm never getting rid of that. Yeah, that 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 ride reminds me of my father. Yeah, so that's that's mm-hmm. that's a part of me. I look at that ride. That's my dad. That's how I think yeah. of that. That relationship he and I had. Yeah. You know, the way you're describing this, you're making me think of um, something else I wanted to ask you about, about being a professional drummer and a gigging drummer is more than a lot of other instruments. I'm imagining, especially when you're on tour or um, just traveling around, you're playing on different kits a lot, right? And so like me, I'm a saxophone player. And for me, I bring my saxophone, my mouthpiece, my reeds (laughs) to every gig. So I know no matter what else is going on around me, my instrument is going to be consistent. But you don't have that luxury as a drummer, right? Is having a cymbal like that or a set of sticks or whatever else the case may be a source of comfort in being able to to bring your touch with you from gig to gig, from place to place? It's interesting because in my case, it's based on genre. Uh, So if I'm playing more of an acoustic, jazzy fusion vibe, I will always take my cymbals with me. Like Mm -hmm. I fly, Mm -hmm. I've flown all over the world Mm -hmm. and I'll have a hard case. They can throw them around the way they want to. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I, I make sure I take that, your sound, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. equivalent to a guitarist with his guitar. Yeah. Like I make to I make sure to bring those with me. But a lot of times on like the poppier things or or you know, like uh okay, one of our let me think of a recent tour. Like Sheila E. Mm-hmm. I toured with Sheila E recently. Mm-hmm. Like you just you play what's there. You give them a writer of what it is that you ex- you like to play. And hope for the best. <laughs> and some, <laughs> sometimes it's incredible. Sometimes you're like, 
this is gonna be a long tour <laughs> you know what <laughs> i mean but um you just make the best of it man you gotta bring bring yourself to, yep. to get accustomed or get acquainted with whatever is there it strikes me that you know hearing you say that that is why it's so valuable that this piano teacher came up to you and said it's time for you to discover your touch because that is not equipment specific right that's that's no. coming from that's, that's you. coming that's from somewhere here. else yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's here that and that's really what he was saying i wasn't hey you need to get better symbols right excuse me that's not what he said mm-hmm. just, you, you got to really work on your touch you need to figure out what the what this instrument means to you well it's really i mean it, it it's pretty beautiful actually the arc between these two points in your in your journey right you have your godfather who says this is your touch <laughs> this is this is what i want to hear you play and then you have this guy once you you know you spend from here you write almost 20 years of your life cultivating that and it's it's almost like once you have finally mastered that then another teacher comes along and says okay now you're ready to figure to out who you are figure out who you are yeah not not who who they say you are who my godfather told me i needed to be yeah you know and i don't i'm not really a fan of the phrase i gotta find my sound Mm -hmm. because i feel like sometimes with that that could be a bit of a a selfish way of looking at music Mm -hmm. you know i feel like if you're a vessel when it pertains to music like you're a servant you Mm -hmm. know whatever's supposed to happen you know it's supposed to happen through you it's not for you you know, um, it's 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 for you to to give out. Another thing that you say in that again in that first Shivertone video is you say music is honesty. I try to approach music honestly every day. What does what does that mean? That means trying my best not to come into any musical situation with with any preconceived notions of what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can know a song, you can learn a song, understand how it's supposed to go, but then there's a certain threshold that you should meet in terms of expectations mm-hmm. that you should throw out of the window. Mm-hmm. You know, play, play again. Let the music play you. Mm-hmm. You know, and I got most of that perspective or that, or again that philosophy from playing jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, more expressive music. There is a place, man, that has nothing to do with mechanics, has nothing to do with skill. Or facility yeah. it has everything to do with surrender. So does that account for? I have to ask you this question because it's been in my head ever since I watched the first, watched the Smoogies Shivertone session the first time, um, which is still. I mean, it's my most viewed YouTube video. I just think it's extraordinary, and it's not just the music that I love; it's the fact that it's four of you guys, and you're sitting with your backs <laughs> to each other. Yeah, I thought the guys would think I was crazy when I told them that idea, and everybody's like, "Yeah, that's crazy. Let's do it," because there's a certain level of communication that needs to happen without yes. us seeing each other. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm so, sorry. Go ahead. Well, mm-hmm. it, no, I mean you you put your finger on it. I love that it was your idea. What? Yeah. Um, t- tell me why you why you wanted to do it that way? Because exactly that showing how music you can communicate through music and not have it be a visual thing. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. Like music, you can really, I've, I've played on many stages with a lot of different people. Some I've played with multiple times, some I never saw ever again in my life. Mm-hmm. But we had to connect for right. that night or that moment. And there's a certain level of communication that can happen if everybody's surrendering to that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I really wanted to showcase about the Smoogies. First of all, these are all like my brothers, mm-hmm. some of my favorite musicians ever. Yeah. And I wanted to showcase how we don't have to look at each other to communicate. Huh. We don't have to make it such a visual thing. Conceptually for the video, yeah, I knew it would look dope. But I also wanted to really, you know, to somebody like yourself that can dig deeper into mm-hmm. why that was happening. Say, yeah, yeah, we're going to play this whole set or whatever music and we're not going to look at each other once. <laughs> yeah, we don't even have to, you know, if anything, we turn back like, yeah, that was dope. Yeah. And we go back to yeah. communicating, so to speak, without any visual, whatever. Musically, we're able to communicate without seeing each other. Well, the other thing I love about it related to what you're saying is that it is also such an incredible illustration of you've been talking in this conversation about how do you how do you play the drums as a tonal instrument, not just as a rhythm instrument, because the other thing that's somewhat unusual about the Smoogies is you have two drummers. And so you and it's Harvell is the other. Harvell Nakundi. Yeah. Amazing. This is maybe getting a little too granular, but I, I'm just so curious about it. When you think about playing tonally with another drummer, what are you listening for? Because you've talked about how a lot of playing the kid is listening to the bass and not trying to drown out like melody instruments, say like a saxophone or something. But when you're playing with a second drummer, how how do you how is it different to try to complement what another drummer is doing as opposed to the other instruments? I look at Harvell specifically as you know being equivalent to a pianist or a saxophone or, or vocalist we always have a strike against us when we come into any venue and they're like there's two drummers <laughs> oh man we didn't know you know what i mean so so and, and our i always tell the guys like our main objective is to make people forget that after the first song yeah like they totally forget that there's two drummers on stage mm-hmm. and what that has to do with is you know one guy's holding it down in terms of the solid groove and Harvell may be playing some more percussive stuff, so mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. shakers, tambourines. Sometimes I'm doing that stuff, you know. Yeah. And and we're it's very giving and it's very, you know, being selfless. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's very much us being selfless in 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 how we approach the music. That's the only way it works. Yeah, I could think of a million guys I could do this with, and it would go down in flames. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you get, I love the answer you gave. Uh, It's so, it's, it's so beautifully simple. Like you're not thinking of it as two drum sets. You're thinking of it as a different set of tones. Two musicians. That's Mm -hmm. it. It's equivalent to if we had another keyboard player or a guitarist on stage, like it's equivalent to that. And, and, and we make sure that we try our best to showcase that. That's why I said by the first tune, we want everybody to totally forget that. Yeah, that is two drummers on stage. I've, we've had people come tell us like, "Yo, I totally forgot that is two of you guys," you know, on stage. Yeah. So, well, you're also describing something about it that, as a listener, is extraordinary. Is that it never feels twice as loud. You know what I mean? It because I've seen you guys live, and I've seen you guys, and I've listened to the records and and watched the videos and stuff, and 
it never it, it does feel like two different instruments and one of the coolest things about watching you guys play live is exactly what you described that you and Harvell are kind of constantly passing the pocket back and forth it works man it, it really works and humbly speaking like it works and and it's uh, the the great thing about it is it's changing all the time mm-hmm. well I, you've given me so much time and I really appreciate it just in our last couple of minutes here I have two more questions for you of course one is another very profound thing that you you said in that first Shivertone Sessions video is you said music can heal you. Uh, I've worked through some very difficult things in my life through music. Um, to whatever extent you're comfortable, can you say what it is about music that uh, has the capacity to heal? I experienced something very recently too, man. I was just kind of a super frustrating situation. And the moment I pressed spacebar on my laptop to play, it went away. Hmm. You know, it was just like nothing mattered mm-hmm. before or even after that. It was just like yeah. you're in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and allow music to kind of take you away from this place of negativity. When I said that, what I was, you know, talking about, like I lost my mom. Hmm. I lost uh, my mother. My aunt, the one that I told you was one of the first yeah. people I saw play drums, and mm-hmm. my grandmother within a two, three-year span while oh. I was in college. I lost my mom my second year of college. Oh. My, you know, so it was, needless to say, man, like, you know, just finding a reason to go on in general. Of course. And it was really music. And, of course, my loved ones and, you know, people around me, but specifically music. That was my therapy because I could have turned to alcohol and yeah. drugs or whatever, things that people are affected by every every day. Mm-hmm. And but I'm super thankful to God that, you know, music was really that vehicle to to help me, you know, deal and heal, you know, and, and it was always giving to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was always mm-hmm. it was never selfish or whatever. And it always gave what I gave. It gave it back to me. You know, yeah. when I pursued it, it pursued me. Yeah, I will always say music heals if you allow it to. It really does. Thank you for sharing that. And also, you know, I'm really struck in you telling that story that this was also the time you're saying you're feeling lost in your life, that you were also kind of feeling lost on the drums, right? Yeah, exactly. So imagine losing all of those amazing people. Like on top of that, I'm like, I suck. Like, I don't, (laughs) why am I doing this? (laughs) Seriously, that was really the place I was in. And there was something, like I said, God really push me in the direction of giving me I'm thankful to God every day that I have music mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't man a lot of people don't have an outlet or a passion that they can say that let me throw myself into this yeah and work through what I'm what I'm going through so I never took that for granted well I know I'm, I'm about to say something that's not at all original but I'm I'm very your story is giving me a, a much more concrete understanding of something that people talk about all the time that you know We've been talking about this idea of being a servant to the music, um, letting the music play through you. And in a way, that's not very different than what people do with substances, right? Like um, if you if you let alcohol play you, it can play you. If you let drugs play you, it can play you. If you let any of these vices become your your master, it can. T- and, and, and the other thing is, like music, those things can take you to euphoric places. Absolutely. Yeah, you go to this euphoric place, but mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Then the high is gone. <laughs> you got to 
now you're searching to find it back. You know what I mean? So Well, the way you talked about music is that you're, it, that it is this conversation that like, yes, it, it is, it is talking through you, but then you talk back to it and that changes the way it feels. And that seems like a meaningful, I don't have experience with addiction and I'm grateful for that, but I, I have had my share of alcohol. <laughs> you know, the alcohol is going to move through your system, how it's going to move through your system. The music at sometimes it's it's going to take you over completely, but then sometimes you're going to give something back to it, and then yeah. it's more of a dance. Yeah. But you, to me, it doesn't take you over until you give yourself to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's me personally and yeah, my personal experience. Like, yeah, you you won't feel that level of takeover in a sense um, unless you surrender yourself totally to it. You know, being being open to what's supposed to happen in the moment. I'm so keen on like moments now. I just had a gig. I, I did like a couple of shows in Aspen like a week and a half ago, something like that. Um, and it was weird, man, because I, you know, I'm getting, I've been trying my best career wise to get, you know, more conscious of social media and posting and yep. different things mm-hmm. like that. I see my numbers kind of rising a bit more. So I'm like, okay, cool. I got to kind of maintain a certain level of awareness and posting different things like that. And to get to the point, you know, I started to record you know, one of the sets that we did. And it was weird, man, because it started, I literally heard myself changing the way I was playing to 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 kind of cater to the recording or the video. Uh-huh. And to a place where it annoyed me. I annoyed myself. <laughs> I, I, it, was re- it was it was almost like I was outside looking in watching popcorn, like, as this mm-hmm. unfolded. Uh-huh. And I, to the point where I put my phone up. I was just like, I just want to be in a moment, you know, and and I, I'm understanding more than ever how important that is, man. Certain moments you're not supposed to capture, like mm-hmm. they're supposed to happen right then and there. Sometimes when you're able to, or pe- other people capture it, and awesome. Mm-hmm. But if if your objective is capturing this moment, but you're going to alter it by having again preconceived notions of what you're going to do, oh, it's not it's, it's not going to be what it's supposed to be. Well, the last que- that's a that's a beautiful story and and it it really makes me wonder if the last question is even necessary, but I'll ask it go, anyway. Go for it, man. Go for it. Which is do you have and you've expressed a few of them throughout the conversation, but do you have a mantra for yourself when you are particularly when you're like, you know, let's say you're having a hard time learning a song or or figuring out um something in your playing, do you have any little phrase that you say to yourself that keeps you going? I wouldn't say I have a mantra, but I do feel like I have a threshold of, you know, quesarah type type of type of thing. You know what I mean? Where it's just like let the chips chips fall where they may. Mm-hmm. You know, you were never in control. <laughs> yeah, to a certain extent. So you get what I mean. I absolutely know? get what you mean. You were yeah. never in control. I mean, it it goes back to this idea of um, the the music playing through you. Um, you are a vessel for something else now. That's it. The Midnight Disease is hosted, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman, and my thanks to David Shiverton for joining me on the show today. 
If you want to get lost in the many rhythms of David Shiverton, the Smoogies who we talked about and the Shivertone sessions are just a small sampling of the many forms of music that he brings into the world. Check the show notes for this episode to find links to his Instagram, where he shares many of his projects, as well as his YouTube channel. And I hope that his playing brings you as much solace and dream-inducing wonder as it has brought to me. The show art for The Midnight Disease is by the one and only M.K. Cummins. Find more of M.K.'s work at the link in the show notes as well. And if you want to reach out to the show about anything at all, please drop us a line. Midnight at WALT.FM is the email address. If you're enjoying the show, please say so publicly. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It is a small thing that makes a big difference. Thank you to all of you for letting your madness ride with mine. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. And until then, keep driving, Midnight Cruisers. <laughs> 